Welcome to Bottomless Rugby, the home of boys, brews and sports balls. This is the main event with Dr. Duke and Jason. We talk about the current hot topic of the week, touch base on interesting news, and pick a boykey of the week. If you are a listener, welcome to the Bottomless Sports Network. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services. Before we jump in, uh, just a quick little update. Kaya is now focusing exclusively on... Uh, video content uh, while myself and Jason will be running the podcasts and every now and then Kai might just pop in for a special feature uh, in the future so definitely uh, when he does come we'll make it a special event just for everyone else and Kai because you know Kai likes to feel special Uh, with that said let's get into it Uh, Jason Mabru how are you doing I'm doing good, man. Doing good. I'm just worried, you know, first with the audio cutting out when I was involved in the podcast, now Kai is gone. It's going to be conspiracy theories, man. Yeah. I mean, little did you know, but, you know, you might have been groomed um, for this. <laughs> <laughs> I knew. Yeah, I, I knew what was going on. <laughs> well, okay. As long as you consented, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. And how are you doing, man? <laughs> doing pretty well. Um I- Pretty bummed I really didn't get much time to watch uh, the rugby on the weekend besides the game I covered. So I had to watch highlights for everything else. Uh, but, you know, highlights were good. Uh, a little bit bummed the Crusaders took that took their title, you know, with you know another week remaining. I think the showdown with the Blues could have been absolutely fantastic, but it is what it is, you know. Um, but with that, let's just jump straight into our hot topic of this week. Um, so... Well, probably about a couple of days ago, around the six or so. Um, yeah, so so African rugby got news from the government that um, you know return to play for contact training and matches can now occur, but they also set some conditions under which this can happen, right? And some of the conditions they mentioned they they talk about you know uh, it it must happen in a biosafe environment. Um, and with that, they mean that contact training and matches uh, can take place in empty stadiums um, with a limited attendance, essential services only uh, that is required to host the event. Uh, so likely it might just be you know a couple of grounds people. If they're going to broadcast, uh, which they will, it will be like skeleton staff um, to broadcast that, uh, medical staff, a couple of coaches, um, and then just the essential players you need for the day. Um, which, yeah, uh, given what they've put out so long, it doesn't seem too hectic. But at the same time, we haven't really got a lot of detail of how this will be implemented um, on the day and trainings, etc. And I do actually wonder whether they might release all that information to the public as well and whether they might just um, implement it in-house and be like, yo, we're doing everything we need to do to make this as safe as possible. Um, at the moment, they are eyeing a early to mid-September start, but uh, Yuri Ru from Saru has said that yeah, they will announce more details going further because I think this also needs kind of needs to be approved with um, the Department of Sport. Um, like once they've actually proposed their plans for how it's going to be implemented, that needs to get the go-ahead. Um, and with that, at the moment, we don't have any dates for when international games might resume. Um, the major obstacle there being um, government travel restrictions. 
So, yeah, for the Springboks to go and play down the line, we're going to hope that they either work something out, that they are then allowed to go and travel, or by that time, travel restrictions need to be reduced that allows that to happen. All right, so so just on this, Jason, like, what do you think of this uh, this news and this biosafe environment that they are proposing? Well, it's going to be something incredibly difficult to implement, uh, no matter which way you look at it. And to get all the players on board, on like as we're going to get into later, you're going to be asking them to leave families for a long time and basically go back to like a schooling setup where their schedule is tightly regulated, they have limited on what they can do. There's going to be issues just with the players with that. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the rugby again. As we, uh, Springbok coach mentioned, uh, we need six games before you can pick a Springbok squad. We want to be confident they can play well. So it's we need to get it going now if we want to be part of the rugby championship. So there's a lot riding on this. Definitely. Um, I think it's welcome that we do get the go-ahead to play rugby again. Um, obviously, in the South African context with the pandemic, um, yeah, it, it seems that we kind of just in our peak, kind of maybe going you know, out of our peak. Um, that's barring all the assumptions and irregularities with testing and numbers reporting and so forth. To be quite honest, um, I don't think anyone really knows what the actual situation is. Um, so there are a lot of difficulties with this. I foresee some difficulties with this biosafe environment. Um, the, you know, it's going to be very difficult to limit uh, contact and spread of the virus in any case. Um, so I'm going to be curious to see how this goes forward. Um, and then after that, we also got um, further word on this. So Jake White was in a sort of like a Zoom conference thing, so on, and he kind of spoiled that he's been hearing some talk about how this might play out and apparently it seems the, the, the suggestion is to have uh, two bio bubbles uh, one bio bubble being mainly for a strength versus strength two-tier system where the um, super rugby franchises would play in tier one uh, that will allow most of the Springboks to play, get those six games that Jock Nienaber needs to evaluate the players' uh, conditioning, uh, form, and so forth, and actually get them uh, proper, you know, contact ready to go and play at international level. Uh, the tier two of that would likely be, um, you know, the two Pro 14 teams and the Gekos and Pumas playing there. And then there's another, the second bubble would then be uh, for the domestic curry cup where all eight franchises without their Springboks who have now left for the rugby championship are going to go play it out locally. Uh, thus far, we have no details on where these bubbles might be located. Um, some talk being right Cape Town, Gauteng, potentially even Bloemfontein. Um, and something that, that Jake White did mention there was, um, you know, the costs of doing a bio bubble versus um, frequent testing, because it seems like the Bulls doctor was like, you know, it actually might just be a lot cheaper to test these guys often instead of, um, you know, doing a, a completely isolated bio bubble where you got, you got to pay a lot of fees, you know, to put people into hotels and so forth and everything. Whereas normally you could just test the guys, make sure that everyone is negative before a game. And then they go for, um, and then you announce your team, everyone is cleared and then they go and play you know, mineralized risk like that. Um, so on that, quickly, like what, what is your thought on these 
to buy bubbles at figuring? And do you think that is the likely thing that they might try and implement? Uh, looking at it, I think to try and get in the six games quicker, they might go for the two buy bubble system. I think it would work because realistically, I don't think there's anyone in the Kings and Cheetah squad who uh, his Jacques is going to be picking. Unfortunately, that's just how it is. Uh, well, there's Franz Stein in the Cheetahs, eh? Yeah, Franz Stein. But again, it depends if he's going to keep him for the Lions tour or what his plans there are. Like, this might be Franz winding down and just trying to establish the farm, eh? Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, so I do think this is more likely. But if we do like, get a higher peak or we get a word that we're not going to do any travel restrictions, I can see them just scrapping the two buyer bubbles and just doing a two-round curry cup. But again, that would only be seen in the future. For now, I think buyer bubbles, strength versus strength, and the second tier is definitely the way they're going to go about it. Yeah, I definitely think, uh, let's just say, we'll call this buyer bubble one, uh, the two-tier strength versus strength system. I, th I think that is definitely going to happen. I think they'll give that one a shot. And depending on how things go in Biobubble 1, it might dictate if they're going to try to do Biobubble 2, which would be the domestic curry cup. Because if problems arise in Biobubble 1 and there's no tangible solutions, um, you know, that you can implement going forward to, to really minimize the risk for Biobubble 2, then you're going to have serious questions of whether you should even go forward with Biobubble 2 or rather implement a rigorous testing strategy going forward. I think... I like the idea of the strength versus strength um, setup because you can get it going as quickly as possible. You know, like at least the super rugby franchises um, playing against each other will provide high quality rugby. Um, I'm pretty sure we'll put better rugby out there than rugby AU did, um, potentially up to the standard of New Zealand. Um, I think that is possible to do. And at the same time, I think the Tier 2 um, setup within that might be very interesting to see how the two Pro 14 teams compete um, with our recently fran uh, established franchises, the Griquas and the Pumas, to see how they play against each other. I think that is a fantastic opportunity for the Griquas and Pumas to you know, be a bit more involved with top quality teams because there really hasn't been much for them in the last couple of years. Um, you know, so that's going to be quite interesting. I think that, that will be like our premium product we put out in the short term. And then, you know, Jokni Naba has the time to evaluate the player selected squad. And then, you know, with everything cleared, they can then travel to New Zealand to go play in the rugby championship. In which case, uh, then we shift on to, you know, buy bubble two, which is going to be uh, sort of the domestic competition. And Jake, Jake White mentioned, um, like, this might be really interesting, uh, especially for the smaller franchises like the Chicos and Pumas, because they, let's be honest, they're not going to lose any players. Kings likely aren't going to lose players. Cheetahs, maybe one or two, three at most players, I think they might miss out, right? Uh, so when that Curry Cup comes around, it might be very interesting to see, um, you know, these teams actually have a shot at cracking these bigger unions, you know. Um, so with Biobubble 2, um, or actually first, like Bible 1, like, um, yeah, that Tier 2, let me get your thoughts on that Tier 2, because I think that might be very interesting to keep an eye on, especially for emerging players, you know. What do you think about that? 
Yeah, first of all, I just want to say the fact that Jake White thinks a Curry Cup without Springboks would be interesting to see it shows he hasn't been paying attention to the product. That's just what it's been. Well, that is well, he was he, he was saying it for the for the smaller franchises. It gives them an opportunity to shine. Like I fully think that you know he will acknowledge that you know Curry Cup without proper Springboks you know is not going to be as entertaining as one with Springboks. Yeah, the, the big thing is like that's just they've been doing that like. Greek was, they overturn a big side every time. Pumas have done it as well. Like, if you, yeah. So, the Curry Cup has been operating like that. But anyway, moving on. That second tier, I do think, will be very interesting. Will the Kings actually find their feet eventually somehow? I'm not sure. But, yeah, seeing how the, if the Greek was can, like, overturn the Kings or even the Cheetahs or, like, the Pumas can do that. And they have a big stake for saying, look, we can step it up if we... If you want to include us in like a Pro 14 or European competition, we can make the step up. Yeah, definitely. I think that's going to be um, very important for them to make a claim for something big in the future. Um, but let's go to, to Biobubble 2 for the domestic Curry Cup. Um, you want to take us through through what they propose for this and how you think that might play out given the scenario that they've presented? Yeah, well, first of all, we know it's going to be the, those two tiers minus the Springboks, essentially. So it will be eight teams involved there. There are suggestions of uh, they want to play an under-21 Curry Cup alongside, and the teams that were mentioned, there are the Bulls, Cheetahs, Leopards, Lions, Sharks, Vierpia. I'm not sure why Leopards above other teams, but again, that's just what's been put out there. Um, it will depend how they want it to run, you know, whether they want to do it single round or two rounds. But interesting, like, the cost, like, uh, considerations here are, are quite big. So, a report newspaper published that doing an eight-team career cup like this alongside a six-team under-21 competition would cost around 80 million rand to run. And because the franchises haven't been making money, you know it's going to be SA Rugby, Supersport, and uh, the new career cup sponsor, Carling Black Label, having to foot the ball here. So, it's not going to be an easy thing for them to just do. Um, and then if you look at hosts, like for hosts, you're going to have to look at cheaper options because of that cost. So like Pumas and Cheetahs have been the front runners here. Uh, Johannesburg was, but because they can't control their COVID cases, uh, they've gone a bit cold on that idea. Um, Pumas have said, you know, they can run the competition for around 30 to 65 million rand, depending on how many rounds you want to play. Uh, that's not including Antonio competition. So, you know, it might be more cheap and more affordable to go to Pumas or Cheetahs and we could actually like raise their stocks a bit. So I'd be very interested to see how they host a competition like that. But that is a just for BioBubble 2 and how it would run. There's no word yet on single round or double round, but for reasons we'll discuss later, I think single round is probably the easiest and best route to go about it. Yeah, um, in all fairness, we are speculating quite a bit here because we are waiting on more detail to emerge from Saru on how they actually plan to implement this or what the realistic options are that they are considering to make a final decision on. Um, I think there's really no need to run an under-21 competition, right? At this stage, um, cutting costs is going to be essential um, and you only really want to um, have players playing that are going to be eligible for Springboks, you know? So you actually only want to have your senior professional players um, playing junior players. I think at this stage, you know, can you can take the year off from from actually playing rugby you know and they can you know work on other stuff because uh, that will save a lot of money um 
and then also yeah the, the you're going to do one round or two round yeah it's going to be interesting to see what they opt for um if you got the eight franchise teams um you know in this in this buy bubble two one you know given that Springboks are not going to be there i think you could potentially run a, a double round thing you, you know just to put a product on the tv for sponsors um and um, you know the deals that they have i think that can work especially then if you don't have under 21s you've got the funding available for that because you ra- you rather want to put that on the tv than you know let's say in running an under 21 competition um so yeah a cu- couple of interesting things to consider there and i think the cost factor might be the one that decides which way they go forward um if if we consider for some reason that uh buy bubble one you know with the super rugby franchises don't happen um or if you want a proper curry cup because that's something that we've also been wondering shouldn't shouldn't we just try to put like the best curry cup product out there that we can which will mean let's have the spring box there you know instead of then a sort of strength versus strength proof um super rugby um type playoff um do you think that that might be a better way going forward just be like yo let's just do one buy bubble from the start uh we do a curry cup when the spring box need to go they go um and we'll go forward there's even been one suggestion i think it was uh dimitri katrakilis was um you know talking to uh, some platform and he even said well why don't we have all the unions involved like all 14 unions um i think that's a bit much but nonetheless um yeah you know should we consider going all in on just a curry cup and not waste time having a strength versus strength super rugby teams playing each other scenario no i think not only is that the best option to go for because you want to get people attracted to the product, you want to get more eyes, and this is the time to try and get lapsed fans back. But I think it's also the more realistic. We have to recognize that South Africa, as much as we've been doing our best, it's not handling COVID as well as other countries like Australia and New Zealand are for multiple factors. Very likely, it is we won't be able to do the whole uh, traveling to New Zealand and taking part in the rugby championship. And look, personally, I would say, Forget about it for this year. Focus on the Curry Cup. Do a proper Curry Cup competition. And then from next year, start thinking about Springboks again. Because right now we need to focus on getting some money back in so unions can run, first of all. Yeah. I do think if if they were to decide, all right, we're going to double down and just put a really, really good Curry Cup um competition together and if they know that okay uh, we're likely to lose our spring box by round six because they're talking about six games that jockey never wants the guys to play before going what you can do is you can schedule the games in such a way that those first six rounds are gonna basically be strength versus strength where you get to play um, your super rugby teams for example against each other a couple of times for for them to get that um yeah, you know, game game quality, and then they go off to go and play the rugby championship, and the competition continues. It might not look so good because you, I feel at that stage you might risk losing a, a lot of interest from fans, you know, because okay, we've been watching this, the competition's been great, Springboks are performing, and then they go away. Like um, I, th- I think you might lose quite a lot of viewership. Um, in that aspect so there's a lot for them to consider in this and i'm looking forward to see what they decide at the end of the day you know yeah look for me if you're going to do a proper curry cup 
don't take the Springboks out of it halfway through, or if the Springboks aren't going to be involved, they shouldn't be involved from the start. Like the big thing that drives fans away is is knowing that okay, it's time for the big boys to go play their game, and now other people have to take their spot. It makes the competition look like less strong. Like imagine watching the Premier League and halfway through it was like okay, internationals are going, let all the youngsters go. Like people aren't going to be as interested. They want to see those big names playing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to see what they're going to bring out forward and how they want to implement it. Um, and we'll definitely follow up on that once they announce it. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about, um, yeah, what's what sort of challenges awaits the players and the staff involved in this if they're going to move forward with the Bible. Because I strongly do think they're going to try the Bible environment simply because government was like, yeah, you need to create a biosafe environment. So I think the bio bubble is going to be tried. Um, and there's quite a lot of like mental and psychological considerations here that players and staff haven't normally been faced with. And that sort of being a bit more on your background, do you, um, you kind of take us through what some of these challenges are uh, facing these players and what you might think um, could happen and what sort of strategies they could put in place to uh, make it as easy as possible for the players and staff to deal with these issues. Yeah, well, first we have to acknowledge that like the whole COVID-19 and lockdown, I mean, we've been on lockdown for a long time now. Like this has already had a lot of mental effects on people. And like some people, like studies have shown some people are coming out of this more resilient, finding new ways of coping. But some people, especially if they have like pre-existing niggles with their mental health, they're coming out worse. And now you're going to be putting these players into a heightened form of this lockdown. So the coaches have been saying, you know, it might be for up to three months. Uh, if they're doing a bio, Ooh, that's long. Yeah, exactly. Because if you think about if they did the bio bubble one, you've got that. That's going to be about six weeks. Then bio bubble two, they say around eight weeks. You've got to factor in the two-week quarantine when they first arrive. And for the players going to um, New Zealand, they're going to have another two-week quarantine when they get there. So it's it's adding up. And this entire time, they're going to be away from their family and loved ones, isolated in hotels because of practicing and the testing they need to do, highly regulated stuff. If they like the NBA bubble, which is what I looked for for a lot of this stuff, masks all the time except when you're eating, uh, no one allowed in your room, so you're very limited on socializing. You know, this can have a lot of adverse uh, psychological effects. And I think one of the big ones that a lot of people will think is cabin fever. So, yeah, we all know basically what cabin fever is. You know, you start, you get claustrophobic, irritable, restless, um, paranoid, especially if there's some a COVID hotline in place to snitch on other players' breaking regulations. Paranoia will be... And let's be honest, there, there will be a COVID hotline. You have to have one. Exactly. And that's, if some calls start going through, that's already going to cause distrust and everything. And, you know, a lot of symptoms of cabin fever, they can really affect play, like sleep dysfunction. They're not going to get the rest, hopelessness, sadness, or the uh, depression, lack of motivation, inability to concentrate. You can also be lethargic. Like this could have, obviously, first and foremost, big effects on their mental health, but also affecting how they play on the field. And you know, going yeah, yeah. Um, on that, um, quickly on the on the cabin fever one and this isolation, um, and on obviously, you know people being separated from love and so forth. But on that cabin fee one, like what sort of quick strategies might um, like team psychologists implement to help ease this for the players, make it a bit easier to handle? 
people, you want to try as much as possible to make sure they're not feeling like they're trapped, you know, and stuck in the place. You need to try and have things that distract them from how they've been in there. So maybe have like team building stuff you do alongside, set it up so, you know, you can contact the outside world. Like the people, players can like FaceTime their family or Skype or try and get contact with them in some kind of way. The biggest thing is you don't want them to feel like they're in prison, which is a big thing with cabin people. You feel like you're stuck and you're forced to be there. You want to try and keep things as po uh, positive as possible. So, you know, regular like sessions with a uh, sports psychologist or counselor needs to happen just to make sure the players are still keeping, you know, keeping up, keeping their spirits up. Yeah, I think they're going to have the handful to actually monitor this off the players, you know. Um... Yeah, those counselors and team team psychologists are going to be be working overtime during this this period if they move into that viable way. Yeah, exactly. And another big thing is you want to keep them keep away from the kind of keep a, a spirit upbeat because otherwise you're going to start losing their cooperation. And I mean, you know, regular players, if you start losing their cooperation, you lose it properly. Yeah, yeah. So moving on uh, from that. Um, a big thing is also being separated from their loved ones. So, like, just from the brief glimpses we get into rugby players' lives, especially in South Africa, these guys come from big families, eh? And now they're being separated from them for a long time. That's going to bring a lot of stress and anxiety, especially, you know, for the guys whose kids are going to school and possibly getting exposed to COVID, financial hardships in the household. If somebody in the family gets COVID, they can't go there and help them. They're stuck in that hotel so they were essentially powerless and i mean like how would you react in that situation do you rate if you're one of these players are trying to manage that yeah i mean this this would be um a big issue for me particularly if there's a family member um you know either getting a disease or some emergency um because that's also going to raise like other things because now the players are going to be faced with the decision right do do i leave the bubble you know, to go and support my family, but doing that, you know, I might likely not be able to play for the next couple of weeks, um, particularly if this is a player that, you know, has to kind of prove why they need to be in the team. This is an opportunity that comes where, you know, they're in a position that they can sort of cement position down for, you know, long-term starting position. Um, and it's going to make that decision quite difficult because now you've got to kind of have to decide consider choosing you know your job over family which is going to be a lot of mental strain on them so i definitely wonder how they're going to deal and what protocol they're going to put in place in cases where a player might need to leave the bubble and then eventually come back you know yeah and you especially have to consider like even if this is your star player you kind of have to let them go in that situation because if you stop the guy from going to his family when they're in need You've essentially broken the trust relationship with that player forever. And I know we always say, you know, professionalism, professionalism. But that could make the difference between the guy saying, you know what, they stood by me, I'm going to stick with them for five years, or saying, you know, screw this, let me go to Japan. Yeah, there's that aspect as well. Depending on how this goes, I think a lot of players might decide uh, differently for their futures once um, contract negotiations come up. Um, so we're going to we're gonna be going through a very, very interesting um you know, time with this bio bubble. Um, it also might create like a situation where players and so forth um, might interact a bit more, you know, because um, 
because there will be some social interaction, even distanced. Um, but now players are going to be all together and, you know, they might start talking, hey, man, like, why don't you come play with us once your contracts are up and so forth? So I actually think we might see a lot of movement between the, the franchises after this, um, you know, simply because of that. If one guy's mate is down at another franchise and he's able to convince his friend to come down, you know, uh, so we might see a bit of a movement after this as well. Um, but with that, yeah, so that's sort of the, the mental and psychological stuff. Um, let's quickly look at um, right some of the more biological aspects with this um, from from my sort of side, from from the science side um, and the COVID prevention. Right. So first off, we don't have all the details on how they're going to try and minimize risk within the bubble. Right. Um, so kind of wanted to myself, right, does this strategy make sense? Um, and to some degree, yes. Um, the NBA has implemented a very, very successful buy bubble. Um, they haven't had a single positive case yet. However, let's be real. The NBA guys are chilling there in Disney World, um, who's also got like, I mean, they have a sports facility and it's Disney World. So they have absolutely everything that they could have in one location. You know, sport top of the top of the range sports facilities, entertainment, all the hotels are there. We just don't have that here in SA. And that is my concern with this bio bubble strategy they're gonna put forward, right? Like so that's something to consider for the location. Like how much or what can you offer to the players and staff that are gonna be stuck in this bubble, you know? Because um, that might be the solution to some of those uh, mental aspects that you mentioned. Um, and let's be realistic. Um, right, so the front runners are uh, Mbombela and Bloemfontein, uh, Jason. Like, I mean, like, what what do you really do in those places? Nothing compares. I don't think they can really offer everything in that regard for the players. You know. Yeah, nothing in terms of experiences you really go to, like the things that you would be able to offer, you won't be allowed to because they're in the bio bubble. Yeah, so that that might mean, and that kind of brings me to the cooperation aspect of this, right? If you're going to try to implement this strategy, you are going to need full cooperation from everyone that is involved. And if everyone's needs aren't met, it's going to be difficult to get that cooperation consistently throughout the whole period, uh, which kind of brings me to to the next aspect of this. Like, all right, so will someone test positive? And in my opinion, there will be someone that tests positive at some point in time. This strategy is not foolproof, um, simply because, like here in SA, uh, look, in all fairness, like USA's COVID spike is ridiculous. Um, it's crazy over there. But I mean, you know, the NBA was very effective in creating that power bubble um, and the protocols were absolutely brilliant. I don't think we're going to be able to implement it at that sort of a level. And we also don't really have the resources that they have available to do that. Um, so I do wonder, right? So when someone tests positive in this bio bubble, any of those bio bubbles suggested, what is going to happen? Right? And we don't have any details on this. And I think this is the crucial one that that sorrow needs to come out and explain to everyone because what are you going to do when someone tests positive, right? Can you really like suspend the league? Can you just remove them? Uh, then contract tracing, like how did this happen? There's so many questions with this. Um, do you just remove the player? Um, like, like, do you need to do extra testing? 
um, this is going to be factor for how big of a squad size you can bring into the bubble, you know, and if someone's out, are you allowed to bring someone back in? So many questions on this, because um, I feel for us, like the spread of this virus is so effective that someone has, we've, we've already seen reports, some of the unions have had staff members and players test positive, but I mean, in all fairness, they're not in a buy bubble, you know? Yeah. I'm looking at right, so looking at the NBA one, like they have the benefit, they also have those bands that they wear that like trace where they go and the thing and trace who they've had contact with. We just don't have the money for that. Yeah, we don't. And at the same time, um, that will also depend on the players all agreeing to be okay with, um, you know, that loss of privacy because they know exactly where you are all the time. Yeah. Um, and, and it's not like the band will really minimize risk. It's just that, you know, if someone tested positive, you know exactly, you know, who to go and speak to that, you know, to contact trace and so forth. Um, so it does kind of beg the question, would it not maybe be cheaper and easier to implement a rigorous testing strategy rather than to create a bio bubble? Um, and, I, and I kind of see the point of what, what that... Um, the doctor made, you know, like, you know, maybe we can just test the guys all the time, so forth. And when we announce the team, we announce the team when, uh, with sort of the certification in place that every single person here uh, did test negative. And you can then decide whether to charter like a private flight, private bus, so forth. And then they go travel up to go and play. You make sure that the event um, environment is clean. Guys just come in, they come play the match, you know, and then they go their separate ways and you test and test and test. Um, I actually wonder whether that might be a better strategy, you know, to save costs because this is going to be expensive to implement a buy bubble, you know. It might be better financially, but again, depending on how they're doing the testing, like there might be ethical issues. Like if they're going to be using those testing kits, you know, that everyone has been using. You already have a shortage of that. And it's a case of can you justify denying the public testing kits to give to these guys? Because they're going to be tested often. Like we know that. So can you can you justify putting like their testing and their lives ahead of the public where there is a shortage currently? 100%. And that's why I'm so curious to see more details come out on how they actually plan to do this. Right, because at this stage, all we know is, right, we plan to get back uh, to playing early to mid-September. And that's it. That is all we know so far. You know, So I think it's going to be very interesting to see which way they go um, and what sort of options they put on the table. Um, but I think with that, um, yeah, do you have any final, final remarks on this um, return to play for South African rugby? Uh, it's going to be very difficult for them to implement. I'm looking forward to it. I'm really keen to see how, how our tournament shapes up compared to Aotearoa or Australia. Um, but it's going to be very difficult to implement. And I think just seeing how they handle that is going to be a good idea how we handle everything with COVID until it's fully gone. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they have no choice but to put rugby back on. I mean, there's a lot of money at stake here and they need the money i think they will definitely you know play it's gonna happen uh the question for me is how they're going to deal with some of the complications that come because i think they will 
definitely be some complications that come up. Like our our COVID environment is just so that I think it will like someone's going to test positive. It's just going to happen, you know. Uh, so very curious to see what they're going to release. Um, more details on this, and we will report back on that once we have more information. All right. So with that, uh, let's move over to our Boiki of the week. All right, so this week we have the one and only Michael Fatialofa. Um, he earlier this year um, got like a hectic, um, serious spinal injury, had to go for surgery, so forth. Um, yeah, like he, he, he fractured his uh, C4 vertebrae, uh, had spinal contusion. Uh, they were even there was even concerns that he would never walk again, right? But literally, after 10 weeks, he was like walking again, um, which is fantastic. And now this week, uh, the Warriors released a video of him actually doing some, uh, yeah, like walking, training, um, which is absolutely fantastic to see. Um, so yeah, Michael is going to be our boyke of the week because uh, man's got back and... Uh, <laughs> um you know it's, it's just fantastic to see this um sort of recovery from from someone you know jason you want to give me your thoughts on that one i mean we try to consider some other options you know fill in some of our vacant positions but coming back from a broken back and like you know, you couldn't blame the guy if he was like okay i'm done with the rugby um I, I don't want to do this anymore but he looks like he's making strides to get back on that field He's running again, like the type of mental strength it takes to come back from that bad of an industry uh, industry injury. Um, it's, <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. So, like, it could be no one else. I mean, wow, just wow. Yeah, I mean, this is right up there with a couple of weeks back when we um, chose Etienne Reineke as our Poik of the Week. Um, this is this is in that category of. Um, like remarkable circumstances that they are overcoming, you know, physical and mental, mentally, what they're having to deal with is, you know, absolutely crazy. The normal person just, you have no way to understand what they're going through unless you've been through that yourself. Um, so for that, I definitely take my hat off to Michael Fatialofa. My man, we wish you, um, you know, the rest of your recovery to go well. And we really, really hope to see you um, playing rugby again. You know, it's, it's absolutely fantastic story that I think should be shared and give people that have similar injuries and so forth the kind of hope to know that, you know, it can be done. You can recover from this and regain good function um, going forward in your life, you know. All right, uh, let's move over to, and to our articles of interest. We're going to have a quick tap and take a look at these. All right, so I have uh, four articles here um, that piqued my interest. Uh, we're just going to jump straight into this one. So first up, we have uh, the Kings and SA Rugby already talking about a new coach for the Kings here in Port Elizabeth. Um, all right, Jason, you think they need a new new coach? They've been needing a new coach for a while. Like, I both feel sorry for Kempson. He came in there for a director rugby position and he's had to coach them. Like, not having a coach is just, there's no excuse for it, honestly. Yeah, in my view, um, yeah, they need a coach. You, you can't do dual roles for too long. He was never intended to be the coach. Um, and at the same time, this actually 
provides an opportunity for a younger coach. Um, I think they need to try and get a coach in that is committed to stay there for, you know, five years plus. Uh, potentially, and they need to build, I think they need to invest in youth and look at long-term sustainability and go forward in, with that in mind. All right, um, other article I have here, um, or it's more like something that happened this weekend. Um, all right, so Ari Savia had an outrageous dummy versus the Chiefs. Um, did that dummy sell you? Oh, you know, I was looking at the wing straight away. I mean, I don't know how I, no one else was sold by that. <laughs> the worst thing was he did the big movement, finished with the ball above his head, both feet planted, staring at the defender as if, like, why didn't you move, bro? Yeah, I think, um, Artie, yeah, that's you, you didn't sell anyone on that. Um, it it actually looked ridiculous. <laughs> like, the, this looked like, like the man was playing some age group rugby, just having a jaw out there. But no one bit on it, which made it super funny. Um, so next time, uh, go practice that subtlety, Artie. Um, then another thing that popped up, which I think is quite interesting, or very interesting. Um, so Rugby Australia has uh, proposed a Champions League-style Super 8 competition, uh, sort of as part of a new broadcast deal. So, I mean, obviously, they've been having back and forth now with New Zealand rugby, and they kind of put it out to you like, hey, you know, why don't we just have like a Southern Hemisphere type Champions League? We take the top two teams from South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. We take one from Japan, and then we take one from South America, and they play out to see who's like the best in the Southern Hemisphere. What's your thoughts on that? I have been saying for the longest time this should be what Super Rugby goes to. You know, you want to call it Super Rugby. Make it have stakes. Stop making it. You're guaranteed to come in. You're guaranteed to stay in. Like people are going to say, you're going to diminish like strength competition by having some, having as many Zealand sides in. But having a knockout competition in rugby is something I think we need. And I think it's going to bring so much attention and energy back to this competition. I think this is a cool idea. Um, I don't think it's going to take given the current. Um, setup we have and where you're gonna f where, where are you going to fit it in but i would actually want to expand on that i think um we should have like a global champions league style club competition where you know even if we do it a couple of, every couple of years where you just take let's say your uh, premium competitions you take super rugby top 14 pro 14 and uh, premiership rugby you take the either the top two or top team from each one and you kind of have like a exhibition style tournament that you can do within a month and basically announce like who's the best club team in the world. I think that can work um, opposed to the one Australia um, suggested. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to fit that in within the Southern Hemisphere, but I think a global one might be very interesting uh, going forward. Um, and then lastly, um, so after the Crusaders won, the Super Rugby Aotearoa competition with a round to spare, um, you know, very anticlimactic. I think, you know, it would have been way better for it to conclude this weekend. Um, so there was a UK rugby commentator that basically just said, like, he has never seen rugby of this quality um, delivered consistently as it has been and kind of sparked a debate between North versus South, um, especially at club level. So let me put it to you. Do you think there's any team in the Northern Hemisphere that could, uh, you know, stand up to the Crusaders? Honestly, no. I think if you just entered the Crusaders into the Rugby World Cup, they'd be guaranteed at minimum quarterfinal every time. Like this, people underestimate how strong this team is, 
and how strong in depth they are. Like three flankers down, you've still got a guy who could potentially make all blacks. It's ridiculous. I don't think there's anyone who can challenge them in the Northern Hemisphere, honestly. Yeah, I still feel that um, if you're going to have a North versus South um, club competition, the South going to take the trophy every time. It's likely going to be the Crusaders. Um, I think at this point, it's no debate that um, at least at club level, New Zealand still sets the standard globally. Um, no questions asked. Alrighty, um, so we're going to end it off there for today's episode. Um, you can leave us a comment or voice message on Anchor. Tell us uh, what's your opinion on these matters, um, particularly uh, the Champions League style suggestion by Rugby Australia is quite interesting. Uh, do you think that uh, has some merit to it as a potential competition going forward? Uh, we also want to send a big shout out to all our favorite boykies and this week's Michael Fatialo for all the best um, you know, with your recovery still and we hope to see you back playing soon. And all you guys, yeah, keep keep making rugby good and inspiring for all us fans. And then for all the listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the main event. And please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services to stay up to date with the latest content. So until next week, stay away from your boys, wash your hands often, drink lots of water, stay safe. Cheers.